In the life of St. Benedict, in his desire to flee from the world, he spent three years at a cave in Subiaco. One day the tempter came in the form of a little blackbird, which began to distract him. He made the sign of the cross and the bird left him. Then St. Benedict was suddenly seized with a violent temptation. St. Gregory the Great writes in, in the biography of St. Benedict, the evil spirit recalled to his mind a woman he had once seen, and before he realized it, his emotions were carrying him away. Almost overcome in the struggle, he was on the point of abandoning the, lowly, the lonely wilderness, when suddenly, with the help of God's grace, he came to himself. And so St. Benedict noticed a thick patch of nettles and briars, and removing his clothes, he threw himself into it. He conquered pleasure through suffering. From this point on, his soul, being at peace, yielded a harvest of virtues. He could begin to clearly see what was going on around him, of how the enemy would come to him and would taunt him. And when the enemy had no effect on him, the enemy began to attack his disciples. For this is how often the enemy works, first by distractions in our spiritual and moral lives, then by attacking from within, attacking one's identity as a child of God, discouraging one from one's way of life. Then finally, if that doesn't work, the enemy discourages by attacking one's loved ones. We often live and move about from a state of always being under attack. We are like a city constantly under siege. What if we could take up a position in our lives of witnessing the full scope of things? What if we could see the attack of the enemy happening and instead we choose to stay with the Lord? never giving in to the wiles of the evil one. For we humans have a natural capacity of self-reflection. What if we lived out of that place where we could see our daily lives so clearly and made the right choices, instead of just going with the flow? I always like to describe us as unreflective tumbleweeds, going through life, not really aware of what's going on, Psychology makes the distinction between the false self and the true self. Most often we live and move and operate out of our false selves. We entertain the distractions because they pull us away from our fears and wounds, which we don't want to face. We listen to lies that say that we are less than, not enough, fallen short of the ideal of what we should be. We are short-sighted unable to see the forest beyond our wounded trees. And we operate out of our wounded selves, wounding others in the process. But what if we lived and operated out of the place of our true selves? We could see the forest as well as the trees. We could see how we carry our wounds around with us, and we refuse to be defined by them. We could live free from anxieties, we could live out the, of the virtue of magnanimity, being great-souled, generous, 
giving of ourselves, while at the same time maintaining a, possession, a position of integrity and balance. Now, lest you think that that is an impossible ideal, think of people you've met in your life that have lived this way. I can think of a handful, far too few, I'll admit, but just enough to realize that this true self is not an impossible ideal to attain. Then add on the Christian element with this. The false self is, an, is a position of a city constantly under siege by the world, the flesh, and the devil. The true self is a position where one is close to God, adhering to God without distraction, the God who reveals man to himself so that we may be alive to seeing things the way God sees them. Isn't it clear that this is the kind of lifestyle we wish to live? Something we must practice daily so that it becomes a virtue in our life? Jesus comes across a man with an unclean spirit. The city under siege has been taken. The great warrior approaches this city and attacks the enemy, and the city convulses violently and expels the enemy. How did the enemy first take this city? We don't exactly know because the scriptures doesn't, don't, don't say. But based on what we know from the scriptures and from the lives of the saints, including St. Benedict, we know that the enemy would have first distracted the man so that he would abandon his way, so that he would leave the gates of the city unguarded and ignored so the enemy could just waltz right in. In this way, the enemy gains a toehold in the soul. Then the enemy would have attacked him from within the city walls. Typically, the enemy does this with words. Did God really tell you that you're not supposed to eat of this fruit? He takes the truth and distorts it, twists it just enough that it becomes believable. And then the consequences and the fruits of these lies I always call D-words, despair, depression, darkness, disquietude, feeling downcast, and so forth. The false self suddenly seems all too true, and in this way the enemy gains a foothold. And then the enemy takes over the city, making it into a stronghold. Now, Jesus uses a similar method, but he attacks the enemy and not the person, whereas the enemy attacks the person. Jesus attacks the enemy with truth, while the enemy attacks the person with lies, a distortion of the truth. And the truth of Jesus is a truth that sets you free. For Jesus teaches as one having authority, a kind of power, the word who the authority whose word has the power to break strongholds. Recently, I met a Christian man who liked to evangelize everyone he met, including monks. He took issue with Muslims who said that Jesus was only a prophet and nothing more. And this man replied, rather, that Jesus isn't a prophet, but a savior. He's our savior. Now, if in the midst of the conversation I were able to get a word in edgewise, I would have explained that Jesus is both 
He is the prophet with a capital P and our Savior. For Moses explains that God is to raise up a prophet that all will listen. A prophet who shall speak with the voice of God. That same voice to which the Israelites were afraid when they heard it on Mount Sinai. For they heard a voice that sounded like thunder. And they encountered a great fire that frightened them. Now in Jesus Christ they are to encounter a voice with the authority of thunder and a great fire that sets hearts ablaze. This prophet speaks with what they would call a new teaching with authority. For they did not recognize that the awesome and terrifying God was in their midst. But the only one who does recognize him are the demons. And Jesus has to silence them so that their forked tongues can no longer do harm. Then he enters the city, binds up the demons, and kicks them out, restoring the person to whom he is meant to be. Psychology only takes us so far. We can address the lies and move away from the false self into the true self. But only Jesus can rebuke the demons within. We have to open up our lives so that he may do that for us. And once our true selves are restored, we can live in union with him as the default position in our lives. So how do we do this? We stay in the state of being recollected. We exercise the capacity of self-reflection that God built into our personhood, the same capacity that makes us recognize our sins in an examination of conscience, the same capacity that helps us to make good decisions, the same capacity that helps us to open up our hearts to another person. Then we bring our wounded selves to the Lord, and we ask him to rebuke the demons within. And then we stay there with him. We abide with him. We remain with him. St. Benedict never allowed a toehold for the enemy. Living in the grace of God, he remained in the cloister of his soul, in the true self, close to the God whom he loved. May we do the same.